At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. If you don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at Gospel Community Church. Um, We are so blessed. Amen? Amen. As a church, we're so blessed. And one of the reasons that we are so very blessed is because we are a part uh, of a church planting network. So we're not connected to a denomination, uh, but we are connected to a network. That network is called Acts 29, which is a church planting network. It has been such a huge blessing for our church over the last 10 years. Uh, Just so many things that the network has given us. Uh, And what happens within that network is is a network of brotherhood, a network of like-minded pastors uh, that are able to rely on one another, trust in one another. Uh, And so we have a sister church down in Albany, Georgia, who is also a part uh, of the Action United Network. Uh, And so Pastor Chris... Uh, is an elder there at Greenbrier Church, uh, and so we are so excited to have him uh, here with us. Chris is a, a personal friend of mine. Uh, I've known Chris for several years now. We've had the opportunity to share meals together, to spend time together praying uh, with one another. Chris is also uh, a licensed biblical counselor, uh, and so I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, 2020 and 2021 were pretty tough years. Amen. They were particularly difficult for pastors. Uh, And so I find myself uh, in a place to where I needed help. Uh, And so I reached out to Chris, and Chris has been counseling me personally uh, for several months now. Uh, He's been not only counseling me, but pastoring me and pointing me to the gospel. So I don't know if you know this or not, but your pastor needs a pastor. Uh, And so Chris has been that for me. And brother, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for pointing me to the gospel, for pastoring me, and for loving me well. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. You gotta get ready for that yeah. one. <laughs> so let's give Absolutely. Chris a big GCC welcome. Yeah, thank you, thank you, man. Awesome, man. I can't, uh, I can't thank y'all enough for having me, Kirk. Thanks so much. Um, it's, it's. I mean this. I know you're supposed to say it's an honor, right, to be here, but I really mean that because um, I know this man's heart for the gospel, his love of God's word, um, his love for y'all that leads him to be a shepherd, uh, like an under shepherd of Jesus, right, to protect y'all. And to love you well, and so for him to say, "Hey, will you come preach my church?" says like the, the the fact that he puts that kind of trust in me, like that just honestly blows me away. So um, so thank you. I'm really am honored to be here. Um, just you know, I'm I'm a little uncomfortable because I was told I had to bring a vest. I've never owned a vest before. Um, this beard is not real. Um, but they said if you're going to preach here, you got to have a vest and a beard. So, okay, I'll um, I'll and apply a shirt. Yeah. The plaid, I kind of, I kind of do plaid, but um, <laughs> no, uh, it is, it is a joy to be here. My wife is not able to be here with me today, but I've been married to uh, her name's Kelly. I've been married for 21 years. We've got three children: 16-year-old daughter, 13-year-old son, and a, a eight-year-old son. I always get, I always want to call him nine, and it's eight. Um, but they're back actually serving this morning at our home church in at Greenbrier in Albany. So she sends, sends her love, and I hope we get to come back up here and worship with y'all sometime. She gets to join me. So. Um, Man, I just, uh, he, he definitely said a lot of what I was, I was thinking as far as just the, the joy that we have having a sister church and knowing we have a sister church. I love coming to see places where the gospel is proclaimed and believers are fighting for joy in Christ all over the world. And it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to remember that this is going on right now in tons of places, not only all over our state, which is great, but all over the world. 
Um, I mean, there's a, we've got a sister church in Ukraine right now that needs our prayers, actually. Um, but all over the world, people are following Christ together in community and slugging it out uh, as we wait with joy for him. And so that's just an awesome thing. A um, couple of things you need to know just before we get started. Number one, to, uh, to quote Forrest Gump, I'm not a smart man. <laughs> Um, but I do believe in God's word, and His word says in Acts, excuse me, in uh, Psalm 19:7, that He uh, He makes wise His word and make wise the simple. So uh, I'm claiming that I'm believing in that today. Um, and and the second part is uh, the second thing is actually connected to that. If I say anything at all that's helpful, if I say anything at all that's um, that means something that that is impactful, which I hope it is, it's it's only because it comes from the power of God and His word, not not from me. I hope maybe that God blesses that I get to say it maybe in a way. Um, it's probably nothing different than you've already heard from Kirk probably a thousand times and from David, but uh, I may, I'm hoping to get to say it in a way that you get to hear it from somebody kind of outside your immediate family. You know, if you've got kids, it kind of works like that. Um, you can tell, uh, your kid will come up to you and say, like, guess what I learned? And, what? And they're like, so-and-so told me this. I'm like, I've told you that like a hundred times. Like, what? But for some reason, having somebody outside your immediate family makes a difference. And so I'm praying that God just would bless that today, that I get a chance to speak, um, and that it would mean something. But again, if it means something, it's coming from the Word of God. I also need to give credit. Um, not only um, do I hopefully pull everything from God's Word, I've had a lot of people that have loved me well and taught me about Jesus in His Word. Uh, and I, I want to pass on some of those things that have impacted my life and transformed me and my perspective on my life. Um, in particular, a lot of what I'm going to talk about this morning actually comes from my time working for a discipleship training ministry in Memphis, Tennessee, called where it's based in Memphis. I did it in Albany, but uh, it's called Downline. And uh, Ken and Vaughn, uh, he, he passed on some of these things to me, and I'm passing them on to you. And I hope you do the same. I hope you take these things that, that are from God's Word, that you're convicted by, that are life-giving truths, and that you're able to give those things um, away to other people. So with that said, let me, let me pray for us, and we'll, uh, we'll move on with our time together. Father God... Oh, the fact that we get to call you Father, how good. Lord, you are so indescribably good and glorious. Lord, I pray that you would reveal your glory to us this morning as we look into the face of Jesus Christ through your word. God, that our wills would joyfully come into line with yours and that, you would, that we would experience your love today. God, I pray this in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so I'm going to just cut straight to the chase. Uh, I've got a question that I want you to consider something that's probably the biggest and most serious question that um, that you could ask yourself, or at least one of them. What, what purpose do you believe your life has? What meaning does it have? What, how does your life really matter to you and to other people around you? How do you live a full and satisfying life that is something I, I think we all want? Matter of fact, I want you, I'm going to phrase it like this. I'm going to phrase it like this, and I want you to, actually, I'm going to pause for a second, because I really want you to think about this. I want you to answer this in your own mind. Fill in this blank. I have truly lived if blank. I have truly lived. My life has mattered. I've truly lived if blank. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways we could answer that question. There's some ways that we would answer that question that we know we should answer the question like this, and there's ways that we could answer that question if we're being honest with ourselves. And I hope God convicts us not to condemn us, but to lovingly bring us to the joy of his ways. 
So um, that's my hope. And I think he's answered that question for us in his word. And we're going we're gonna to dig in. Um, before we read and dig further into the scriptures that I want to talk about today, which are pretty much all from First Thessalonians, um, I, I kind of want to point out how little our culture seems to care about this question these days. I mean, there are countless ways that we distract ourselves and pursue idols, right? I mean, there's tons. But in our culture, what, I mean, look at what um, entertainment, cheap fun, distraction, look what it's doing to us and look how pervasive it's become. It reminds me, if y'all have seen that old Pinocchio um, movie, which I probably watched in a theater that looked a lot like this back in the 80s. Um, <laughs> um, Y'all, y'all remember this movie, right? Y'all, I hope y'all have seen it. Okay, so there's this there's this island called Pleasure Island. I believe that's the name of it. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's called Pleasure Island, um, where Pinocchio ends up. And this place is this place where uh, these boys are offered total freedom from authority, total freedom from authority, all the candy they could eat, constant entertainment. It looks like a carnival, right? There's roller coasters and games and midway, right? Just constant distraction. And these get these boys are just like, I mean, this is it right? This is it. What they didn't know, though, and of course we find out in the course of the movie, is they were really brought there to be magically turned into donkeys and used for slave labor. Um, now, that kind of sounds crazy and weird even just saying it like that, that's magically turned into donkeys and used for slave labor. But the reality is, like, when you watch this movie and then you start to see, like, the tragedy that unfolds as that becomes apparent and they start turning into donkeys and the panic, you realize the pleasures that they were engaging in consumed them and distracted them so they didn't even notice or care they they had traded these pleasures right these temporary uh, exercises of fun these things for deep meaningful purposeful joy and it ended up costing them their lives right and and I mean how what a picture that is unfortunately of our culture and think about the metaphor here actually as they became more and more self-consumed they became animals isn't that wild? It's amazing how the truths of God's word and the gospel actually show up all around us in culture. Um, I just that's that's just always amazes me. Um, but let's stop for a second because <laughs> it's easy to go. Oh, the world out there—they're distracted, <laughs> right? Okay, hey, you know where I'm going. <laughs> you know where I'm going, uh, y'all. If I'm honest, it's uh, it's not just the world out there that's distracted and running from God. Um, that's why it's important we gather and sing these things that we sang this morning, that we hear these truths. Because, um, man, I forget. I have to fight. It is, it is, the scripture calls it a fight. It's a fight. We've been given weapons and tools. Like, it's a fight for joy, a fight for keeping my eyes fixed on him, not just living my life simply for my own pleasure, for my own gain. And even as Christians, y'all, it doesn't stop. When we come to Christ, that, that struggle, that lure is powerful. To, to pur- just pursue our own selfish desires. And by the way, most of the things we go after, they're not bad things. I mean, they could, some of them turn into and can become bad things, but the core of what's being desired is usually not a bad thing. It's, it's the fact that we do it in a way that is all about us. We do it on our terms. We don't do it in the context of God's design and his word. Um, let me give you an example of this. Uh, retirement, pretty popular concept in, our, um, in the United States, right? Like in our Western culture. Um, I am not picking on retirement. I think retirement's an incredible thing. I think to be able to be wise with your finances so that you could uh, maybe focus on doing something different and not have the financial worry of like, I've got to make money doing this and you get to do something meaningful to you. Like, I think it could be a great thing. So I just want you to be clear, like I'm not picking on retirement. I think it's great. It can be great. 
But think about what it is for most people. It is an opportunity to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and with whom I want. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like, hmm, so I get to be God in my life. And I'm telling you, that lure is powerful too, just like all the other pleasures that we get distracted with. Uh, but that's, that's one example. Again, not a bad thing in and of itself, but when we turn it in on what do I get out of this and it's only about me, that's when it starts to break down. Um, Jesus says something in Mark 8, 34 and 35. This is in our main text, but I just want to hit this real quick. It totally contradicts this kind of philosophy. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. How could we possibly square that, the words of Jesus, with a life that's lived all for ourselves? We, we can't, right? Um, so what should our lives be about? Let's go back to that question. How do we truly live? How do we lose our lives for Jesus' sake in order to save it, as Jesus phrased it? And by the way, notice that. He doesn't say lose your life for the sake of losing your life. He says, if you want to have life, you've got to trade that, that false life for the real life that I offer you. And we'll, we're going we're gonna to really unpack that. Um, but of all, of all the people in Scripture that I could think of to go, hey, how does, how, does God, how does God's Word answer this question? How do we truly live? Man, I, toward or at the top of the list would have to be the Apostle Paul. For somebody that lived an unselfish, sacrificial life for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the people that he loved, and we see it all through his writing, like, I'm guessing he has a good answer for us. And of course, oh, look here, here it is, First Thessalonians, Right? We see where he answers this question, I have truly lived if blank. Now, David read this before, but I want to read this again. He says, this is chapter 3, if you want to follow along, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be in 2, 3, and 1, kind of bouncing around a little bit. But 1 Thessalonians 3, 8 and 9, is where I want to zoom in. He says, um, for now we live. Okay, so here's, how do I truly live? For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? Paul fills in this blank for us right here by saying, I have truly lived if you are standing firm in the Lord. I have truly lived if you are standing firm in the Lord. See, Paul here says his life really matters if these people who he's writing to are standing firm in their faith and love of Jesus. That's how he answers this question, how he fills this blank in. And, and by the way, notice, it's not just for God's glory, which would be enough. It's not just for the good of these people, but it's his own joy. He said, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. Do you see how those things connect? The beauty of God's design is for his glory, for the good of others, and for our joy. Like, all of those are made to intersect when we walk with him and when we trust in him. Just incredible. I'd also argue, though, that Paul's talking to us. He's not just talking to the Thessalonians, right? We know God's word was written to others, but it was written for us. We need to understand who it was written to so we can know the context. I know Kirk well enough to know y'all probably talk about that here, right? And I know he preaches from context. That's important because it's easy to take it out. However, it is passed down through them. Now, think about this. We know it's passed down because we've been given this to, to know Jesus and to, and to know God as part of his word. But think about the other way this is passed down through these people. Guess how the gospel got to you and me? Because Paul loved them and gave it to them. 
and said, my life matters. Like, I truly live if you stand firm in the Lord. And they got it. And guess what? Their lives mattered if somebody else truly stood in the Lord. And that went down and down through generations. And here we are in Fayetteville, Georgia, knowing Jesus, following him, worshiping him, because it went through them into other people. And it doesn't need to stop with you. And we have that opportunity. Just unbelievable. We get to have not just spiritual children, but spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's exciting. But that does lead to a question. So if Paul says, he answers that question by saying, if you stand firm in the Lord, my, my next question is, well, what does that look like? What does that mean, right? Like, that could look like a lot of things. Paul describes this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. He says, and you became imitators. I want you to hear a couple things in this. Listen to what you hear that could describe what it looks like to stand firm in the Lord. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, right, your neighbors, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn from, to God from idols and serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised for the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Did you catch all the little descriptors in there of what it looks like to stand firm in the Lord? I mean, I just jotted down a few. There's, I'm sure there's more than this that y'all could probably find more of these than me. Um, but did you catch them? Imitators of Paul. Of course, that's significant because Paul was imitating Jesus, right? Not because Paul was, because he was imitating Jesus. Joy in the face of severe affliction and persecution. My gosh. Some of us don't know what that's like. Some of y'all are sitting here right now going, that's what I'm fighting for. I'm going through persecution and affliction and suffering. He says they had it. Um, joy. Example, they were an example to all the region and beyond, right? That they, they uh, standing firm in the Lord for them looked like turning from idols and worshiping God so through serving him, right? It wasn't just words, it was also through serving. It, it came out. It's not that it, it just, it was evidenced by the fact that they were serving, they were serving God, giving themselves. I mean, what if you could be described like this? Like, don't we want to be described like this? Do our hearts not just go, that's, I want to be, I want someone to look at my life and go, my gosh, they're like Jesus. What higher compliment is there? Like, that's our goal. Matter of fact, that's the goal that, by the way, the Father has already said he's going to accomplish. You should take great hope in that. This isn't up to you to accomplish that, though we partner with him. Side note, right? God is going to finish that, y'all. Yeah. If we're in Christ, he's going to make us like Jesus. That blows my mind. It's so good. Um, that wasn't in my notes. That's extra. <laughs> but man, my heart leaps at that, and I hope yours does too. Um, so what did Paul do with them? That's, so I'm like, what did Paul do with them to, to produce lives that look like that? Right, because I'm going, I don't know that that's kind of, <laughs> all that describes exactly where I am, though I want it to be. Well, he discipled them. Some of you are going, well, duh, like, <laughs> I mean, we know about making disciples, that we talk about that, we, that's, that's important. Of course, he discipled them. Um, but yeah, he discipled them. Let's look at it a little bit closer here. Um, that's what Jesus had commanded all his disciples, has commanded all of his disciples, including us, to do. I'm sure you all are familiar with Matthew 28. 19 and 20, right? Like, go make disciples of all nations. That's the heart of that command, make disciples. And so that's what Paul was doing. He was just following this command that's been given to us. 
But, but I want to look a little closer, like to get a picture. I think we can get, actually get a better description of what that looked like in reality and in their lives. And Paul writes about this. And I'm going I'm to read a little bit longer section here. But I want you to see, even though it's a little long, I want you to see um, the bigger picture. And keep in mind, this is like a letter to a church, right? And so they're reading this as a letter. I want you to hear it like this and hear, hear how Paul describes this time there. For you yourselves know, by the way, this is uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead, we were gentle among you. Catch this. We were gentle among you as a mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you, believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, we implored each one of you to live worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He says they loved him like a good dad. We loved you like a good mom. We loved you like brothers and sisters. We loved you like family. That's how they made disciples. He gave them love. And I, and I want to I zoom in even further on that, on that uh, verse 8 right there. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I think this gives us a pretty good blueprint uh, for truly living lives that matter. But he describes it further. First, I want you to notice this. There's bookends of love on this verse. He says here, So being affectionately desirous of you, right on the front end, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because, why? You had become very dear to us. We cared for you. We loved you. And this is the context for what we gave you and how we disciples you. Um, your attempts to make disciples, which I hope you do. I, I hope this encourages you to engage and to invest in the lives of other people for the sake of God's kingdom. That, that is, I, I want all of us to be about that because I'm fighting for your joy in that. I want you to experience the joy of what that produces, even now, much less when Christ returns. However, your attempts to disciple others cannot be driven by guilt or fear or shame. They can't be driven by trying to prove something to God or trying to pay God back for your salvation. They can't. You will fail. It will crush you if this is, why, is how you go about disciple making, is how you go about engaging in community around you, to pour Jesus into people around you, to be arrows pointing at the gospel. Like, it will crush you. The gospel has freed us from all of those things, y'all. All of those things. That's the motivation of our hearts to step in and be able. It, it's when we are loved like that, right? 
Like that's, that's what motivates us. When we've been loved like that, that's what motivates us to love other people. Second, I want you to notice a couple of things that Paul gave them. And this is, again, this gets specific. He says that he gave them the gospel, the truth, right? And his life. So downline ministries, I mentioned before, uh, we had a definition that we would use of discipleship. It was truth and life transference in the context of a relationship. That might sound like a really nerdy way to say it, but it's just, I think it's accurate. (laughs) Truth and life transference in the context of relationship. So let's break those down. Number one, what's the truth? We just said it, y'all know. The truth we must give is the gospel. The truth we must give is the gospel. People have got to know in order to live in the kind of freedom we've been called to, in order to follow Christ with a free heart, free from those things we just talked about, free to love and joy, have joy in him and obey him, in order to be free, they've got to know this. They've got to know they were made by God to glorify him and to enjoy his glory. But we have turned away and we have turned to ourselves and we've worshiped ourselves instead of God. And that's what all sin boils down to is worship of self. That's what idols, we don't, we don't worship idols except for what they do for us. That's what makes them idols. So at the end of the day, what we're worshiping is us. Instead of, and, and look, God's good, just, and proper response to that is to remove us from his holy presence forever. Because how could we, in that kind of condition, be before a holy God? We can't. You've heard that, like, these things are things you've heard. I've heard it multiple times already today. I love that. But instead of sending us to hell where we deserve to be, what has he done instead? He sent his only son, Jesus Christ. He sent him to die in our place for sins that we don't have, so we don't have to die, to pay debt that we couldn't possibly pay anyway, and, and though, to live a perfect life of pleasing the Father. People forget this part. To live a perfect life of pleasing the Father because we can't do that either. We must have him. But, I want to say something, and, and just, I don't think anybody has, like, I don't see anybody look like they're going to throw anything at me yet, but don't, and Kirk, don't freak out when I say this. I would argue that's not really the gospel. What? Okay, what does the gospel mean? Good news. Okay? It is good news. But what I just said is actually the means to accomplishing what really get down to the core of what makes it good. Why is this good news? All that stuff that we just said is absolutely true. And by the way, that is, that is part of the gospel. Like That is part of the gospel message that we need to understand. However, the good news is what Christ actually accomplished through that work on our behalf. The good news is the fact that he, as 1 Peter 3.18 says, brings us to God. That's the good news. That's the stuff that gives me goosebumps. <laughs> that he desires for us to be part of his kingdom family. I've heard that repeated multiple times already today. He is the one that is going to restore a perfect world that works how it's supposed to. Like, this is true for us, by the way, if we believe these truths, put our faith in him. It, 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 we surrender our lives to him. Like, this reveals that it's, it's true for us. We're part of, his, part of his family. But that's the good news. I love it. Tim Keller says it as simply as it could possibly be said. God is the gospel. The good news is God. We get God, y'all. But you know, God actually goes a step further too, though, and he says, yeah, but guess what? You don't just get me, you get family. You get us. Unbelievable. 
But this truth, y'all, and this is important too, this truth of the gospel is not just for after we die or Christ returns. It is something that must fuel us every day. We have got to fight to remember it every day because we will forget every day. That's why we come back over and over again and speak and sing about these truths. It's why you need more than just this on Sundays. It's why you need people in every day of your life representing and reminding you of these truths. It's something we got to come back to over and over again. And even when we fall short of that, right? Like, even when we sin and fail, his love for us doesn't stop. We sang that a minute ago. We've got to continue to repent and to continue to fight to believe so that we can trust him for how to live our lives. And, and when God says his mercies are new every morning, guess what that means? It must mean logically. We need mercy every day. You're not alone in the fact that you're struggling. Like, we all need that mercy. That's why that's good. That's why that verse speaks to us. We know we need it. And when we struggle to believe that suffering... How about this? When we struggle... This is where we need the gospel, practically. When we struggle to believe that our suffering has a purpose, that he will use it for the good of those who love him and will bring it to an end one day. He hates suffering more than you do. Look at the cross. He took it on so you won't ever have to one day. We won't ever have to one day. He is going to bring it to an end. But when we struggle, we've got to have that gospel truth remind us to keep going and that he's trustworthy and that he's good. When we struggle to believe we matter. Man, look at Romans 5 where it tells us Jesus was willing to die for us when we were enemies. How much more now that we've been adopted and we're heirs that we just say, like how much more as children, as sons and daughters of his, does he love us? And how much more will he do for us? Like then as enemies, he loves us like that as enemies? My gosh, we're his children now? Like what's that gonna look like? We cannot imagine, but try. <laughs> Keeps us going. We've got to have that gospel each and every day. This is huge. And I mentioned this before and I'll reiterate it. We are only going to desire to truly have our lives matter in the lives of others if we believe first that we matter and we're valuable and we're significant. Not because we're awesome. That's the version the world gives you. And that's why you buy in, people buy into it because it that's what we want to hear. I matter. I belong. I'm significant. And the world says, yes, because you're awesome. No, because he's awesome. And he has given us his love. He has declared us awesome because he's made us in his image and he's redeemed what's broken and he's going to complete that work one day. But if we're going to give that gospel well, we've got to continue to receive it constantly. We are not going to be able to pour it into others if we're not constantly being filled with it. We've got to strive to let the gospel inform and drive how we live in every part of our life, by the way, not just church activities or mission efforts, right? Like, we want to live in a way that is consistent with uh, the realities and the truths of the gospel. We want to live, like, for example, this is not our home. We are exiles and aliens here, right? We have a home, and we get to love this place right now that God has put us. It is a kind of home temporarily because it's where God is at work in us and with us as his people, and we're building his kingdom. So, like, there is some homeness to it, but we're not there yet. Like, we got to live in lives that look like that. Like, that should affect how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we work, our jobs. And by the way, all these things are significant. Some people get this... Side note real quick, time out. Some people hear talk about like making disciples. And like, oh, so I guess my life's really gonna matter. I gotta go work at a church. I gotta go move and be a missionary. No, like live your life where he's called you on mission. Your work matters. It is significant. The work itself, not just the fact that you get to be around people and 
and be a salt and light in that place. But even the work itself is an opportunity to glorify God, if that's your perspective. It's a, it's a, it's a means of worship. What you do matters. I don't care if you're hammering nails or what you're doing. Like, it matters when it's worship. And we get to take that, and we get to pursue living lives like that. All of us have this opportunity that matter and that are lives of worship so that the world sees, wait a second, there's something to this. There's something to this. I also need to make an important, I mean, just kind of a, another little almost side note, right? Um, you may have heard this, um, this phrase before. Uh, speak the gospel always and when necessary use words. Now, I like that in one sense because um, it, this, it's, I think really what it's talking about is what we just talked about, right? Like live lives that are such that people see you and, and recognize there's something different. You have a different king, <laughs> right? Like that, that it, I think that's true. So I'm not picking necessarily on the phrase, but here's where this is misleading. And I think it has actually misled a lot of people. If we're going to give the gospel to people, we must use words. We must use words. Because guess what message your good life preaches if you don't put gospel words to it? If you don't give credit to Jesus Christ as you pursue him and your righteousness, and you start to like look more like him, which is good, the world sees, hey, I'm just going to preach gospel with my actions and not say anything. Guess what your, words, your actions say? Man, if I was really good like that, God would love me. If I was really, if I was able to do that well enough, if I was able to, man, if I could, if I could do what they could do, if I could be that good, God would love me. That is the anti-gospel. So it's got to have our words saying, no, don't get distracted. I'm living like this in any way that I'm faithful, by the way. I'm living like this because I am free from performance. I get to live freely pursuing obedience because I trust him and he's good and he says this is how to live. And so we get to do that. If any of us go before God on the basis, and you know this, on the basis of our actions, and we lead people to think that way, like, they're in a lot of trouble. Because there's only one way. There's only one that's good enough. And he, man, praise God, has stood in our place. Um, so we get to give the gospel with our words and our actions. Now that actually leads to the second part. Um, the life, this is the, the, the first one was the gospel, right? The life we must give is our own. The life we must give is our own. See, one of the keys to being effective um, from what I've seen and what I've experienced in making disciples is um, it includes spending time with people in like real life situations, right? Um, not just like controlled environments where we can uh, kind of talk big about how we should be living, right? Um, but not have to actually like practice the one another's of scripture. We just say, oh yeah, you know. Now, I'm, I'm not knocking that. We need those environments where we talk about the ideals and we, and we grow and we learn. Like, so I'm not, not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying if that's the only context, it, that all that idealistic talk about how we should be doing this, if people aren't like experiencing it in your life that you're trying to decide, like if they're not kind of seeing some into your actual life, it's misleading, right? And for them, it, it could be crushing. People don't just need like biblical theory Though we do need biblical theory. We don't just need biblical theory on how to pray, read scripture, work, treat people, evangelize, love a spouse, parent your kids. They need to see what it looks like in real life in all its mess. <laughs> and I know some of y'all enough to know, like y'all know me, like some of y'all have seen some of my mess and, and I've seen some of y'all's mess and like it's a mess, but it's a good mess and, and Christ brings redemption to it. And here, here's what's cool about this. Yes, like we do want to 
bring people in our lives so they can see God's grace on us and acts of faithfulness, right? Like acts of sacrifice. Like we want to see that. We want people to see those things up close. That's good. And we like that part. <laughs> but, but it's not just about showing those strengths. Um, and it might be counterintuitive, but your weaknesses can actually be an asset. Your struggle with sin might be an asset to you. How in the world does that work? Well, you know what your sins give you uniquely? An opportunity to demonstrate repentance and humility and sacrifice and transparency. Like when you're close enough and somebody's in your life enough to see your sins, guess what? I don't have to, <laughs> like it's one thing, we should be confessing our sins to one another even when they're not seen, right? Like that's part of just like God wants us to be free from those constantly. That's part of it. But like we can be tempted to kind of, you know, um, get overwhelmed with, we start letting people in our lives and they start seeing our sin and we actually have to address it with something, but we get to address it with the gospel. And fair warning, when you start doing this, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about, when you start doing this, you're not going to look good. <laughs> but guess what? That's okay. That's not our goal. Because you know who looks good? Jesus. When we put words to the gospel to that, and we get to, and they see us fighting for it, and they see us having to be humble, and having to ask forgiveness, and having to reconcile, and having to admit we're wrong, and having to admit, God, that was just a stupid preference or opinion that I was putting a stake in the ground I shouldn't have. Like, people get to see that. That's what they need to see. They need to see real life, real life fight. One other point of clarification on what it looks like to give your life to others. Notice, notice this. Paul doesn't say, I gave you the gospel of God in my own life. What did he say? We gave you the gospel of God and our own lives. See, we live in a very individualistic culture, so we read the command to make disciples as something that we do as individuals, right? Um, and, and by the way, make no mistake, that is given to us as individuals, and we should be pursuing doing it, and we're looking for opportunities to make disciples regardless of the context that we're in. If we're all on our own, like, and, you know, no other believers, like, we, so I'm not taking away from that. I'm just adding to See that this command in its fullness was given. Even in, in that passage of Matthew I talked about in Matthew 28, who was it given to? The disciples right there together, this community of Jesus' followers. He said, you go make disciples, right, of all nations. So we get to do that. We've got to, if we're going to make disciples of Jesus, we've got to engage the body of Jesus, like the body of Christ, the church, specifically our local church. I mean, the call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call for you as an individual to follow him, but also to join with a community of people so that you can follow him and that you can experience him. And how do we do that? When we are around the whole body that represents all the parts and all the many strengths and gifts and blessings, all those things, that's that's his design. That's where disciples really get made, is in the, in the context of this. Yes, individual pieces all working together and, and sometimes off on their own, but coming together as a body. You can't, we can't obey the commands. We can't even follow Jesus without community. We can't follow him. We can't do the one another. You know what I mean? How many of his commands were one another? We can't do it if we're on our own. Matter of fact, Jesus even went so far as to say, you know what? The world's going to know and believe that you're my disciples based on your love, right? Yes, but people don't finish that. Based on your love for one another, the believer. They, now, it's, that's true too, right? The, the world, we hope, does know us and does believe that we're disciples of Jesus by our love for them. 
But Jesus specifically said, they're going to know you're actually my disciples by how you love one another. And you're not going to do it perfectly. But again, that's where we go back to the gospel and repentance and reconciliation. And it's a constant process. And we get to exemplify and live out the reality of the gospel in this life. So bottom line on that one, your path to truly living, connect these dots, your path to truly living runs right through your church. Right through it. Invest in the intentional efforts that your leadership, that God's given you and blessed you with. I know these guys enough. Like, y'all have been blessed. Trust them that everything they do has to do with making disciples. You know that? Like, the way they even set the room up, like, everything they do is about how do we give people Jesus? How do we remove obstacles? How do we help people see clearly? How do we speak clearly? How do we teach? How do we give our people Jesus and make disciples? They're doing that. Join in right? Join in with what they're doing and trust them that that's their heart. And I've seen it. There's somebody kind of from the quote outside in a sense, um, being down the road. I see it and it's true here. It's the bottom line. Inviting people into our lives to give them both the gospel and our lives is exactly how Christ has commanded us to live and how he says our lives matter. If we want to truly live, we live when others are standing firm in Christ. So why don't we do it? <laughs> We're getting close to wrapping up here, but why don't we do it? Why is it such a struggle? Golly, I, even be, putting this together, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I got to ask these hard questions to myself. Why is it such a struggle? Honestly, when I think about it, um, the thought that struck me, there's probably a lot of answers to this. I think it sounds like a less than life. I think it sounds like um, it's not easy, and it sounds like it's going to be uncomfortable, and it sounds like, I'm going to have to um, give up things that I really like or want or uh, put my trust in. I'm probably going to have to give some of that up to some extent. And um, and the world's powerful, and those lies are tempting, right? Like, hey, live for yourself. It's, it's so much easier, so much happier. You don't need all that community. You don't need that church. They are such a mess. If you just go live on, it'll be totally fine. God, he's got us right where he wants us when we get there. Uh. It's a lie, though. And we pursue this, we find out we come face to face with the reality in our hearts that like, I just really like me. <laughs> just really do. I had a friend that used to say it like this. He said, uh, <laughs> that's always made me laugh. It's kind of cheesy, but it's funny. He says, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not much. I'm all I think about. <laughs> I was like, that's honest, man. Like, <laughs> But we're fighting that because Jesus is better. It says um, in his word, and of course, I think that's powerful. By the way, that stuff, that draw, it's powerful because it, we think it's going to give us joy. But, but what does Jesus say about it? And, and this is one of tons of places where he speaks to this, but one that popped in my mind was John 10, 10. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or Some translations say life to the full. It is not a less than life. The enemy is lying to you and your flesh is lying to you. He is not offering you a less than life. He's asking you to lay down that treasure, that pleasure island junk and get real stuff this real joy that's eternal and it grows and it compounds an interest. Um, unbelievable. That's what he wants for us. Life to the full. Life to the full. And that's not talking about health or wealth, by the way, though some of you may have that, and that's a blessing. It's talking about the joy we get in him, the joy we get in seeing others stand firm in him. To wrap this up, I want to point out a, a compelling vision. Just the way Paul phrases this, just, it, this always just it hits me. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, 
Um, I want you to I want you to use your imaginations. You know, God gave us imaginations for things like this. I think. Use your imagination and picture yourself before Christ, and then hear these words of Paul, in chapter two, nineteen, twenty. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you, Thessalonians? Is it not you, GCC? For you are our glory and joy. Y'all, imagine standing before Christ. Oh my gosh, how incredible is that going to be when we see him face to face and all this junk and all the barriers between us and all the fight and struggle and the pain and the death. It's all done and we're standing before him. And I think, I think probably most of you think about this, at least from time to time. I hope you think about it every day. But think about standing before him. But now look around you, in your mind, look around you. See the opportunity we have now that God has called you into his work of doing, but he gets to join, we get to join in on it to look around and see the other faces that are standing together side by side with us in front of our Lord and Savior who died for us and who is glorious. And we get to worship together. And I get to go, not to claim like I did anything, but I get to look around at these people and think, my God, like you used me and this person's like me to prepare them for this, to get them here, to make part of this family, like, that's unbelievable. We only have this life for that kind of opportunity. Like, let's do it. Let's fight for it. It's worth it. What a vision. What a hope. What meaning. How much better is that than the junk that we chase after? How much more permanent is that? And it will grow forever? That's, that's amazing. We have truly, truly lived if we've sought to see others stand firm in Christ. We really have. Let me say this in closing. If you've come here today not knowing Christ, I just, I implore you to believe the gospel. Surrender your life to him. Surrender your life to him. Um, you can be welcomed into his family today as a son or as a daughter. And if, and if you're kind of wrestling with that, like, please grab me, Kirk, David, like grab somebody around you. Say like, I need to talk to somebody about this. I want to surrender to him. But, um, if you've come here today and you believe the gospel but you've forgotten or maybe you've not even really thought about purpose for your life like this, the opportunity we've got to invest in the eternal joy we'll share with Christ one day. Like if this is new or just as a refresher or you've gotten distracted like I do all the time, just turn back. Like turn and see his face. It goes back to what we talked about before. Remember the gospel. Like be captivated by this vision for your life this eternal, immeasurable joy that you get to share in the presence of Christ and the presence of those who get to go with us and be there. That's amazing. I want you to be able to look back on your life and say, I've truly lived. I've truly lived. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are glorious and holy beyond words or comprehension. Lord, we thank you so much. <laughs> words do not do justice to say we thank you so much for your sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that we can know and love you and live for your purposes. Father, protect us from the lies of Satan, the world we live in, and our own sinful desires to live for ourselves. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, let us live to give the gospel in our lives away to others. Father, help us believe that this is how we truly live in Christ's matchless name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, 
share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.